Welcome to episode 133 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week, my guest is Deborah Johnson. The last two weeks of boot camp for Deborah were after September 11th, and while she expected the military to be a way for her to pay for college when September 11th happened, she felt that she had found her purpose. She completed tech school and went back home to go to school, work, and serve in the National Guard. Then in 2003, she was activated to work active duty at Robbins Air Force Base. She was ready to leave the military behind at the end of her service commitment, but was stop-lost and sent on a deployment. Being a military brat, she was able to pick herself up and accept the challenge that the military laid in front of her. She said the deployment wasn't that bad, and then she was raped. The army knew that there was something wrong because she stopped talking and eating and they couldn't figure out what was happening. So they decided to send her to Baghdad and she began to get help. But a soldier came in and killed her psychiatrist and four other members and she was hiding in her room hoping she wouldn't die. These two incidents happened within a week of each other and her body couldn't cope. The army didn't really know what to do and she was eventually separated from the military with PTSD. She was using destructive coping mechanisms to help her but she was spiraling out of control. But then she found out she was pregnant and when she found out she was pregnant she stopped drinking and began to find healing through the love she had for her child. A few years later, she found her life spiraling again, and she started to get help through counseling. One of the recommendations was to start a daily meditation practice, which she did, and that has led her to start a nonprofit called Enlightened Veterans, and they are working to have their first all-day women retreat, but it's still up in the air due to COVID. But you can go to their websites, which I'll link to in the show notes to learn more about what they're doing. I am a strong supporter of meditation to help with PTSD. And that comes out just a little bit in this podcast interview. So I really hope you enjoy this episode and let's get started. Season 3 of the Women of the Military podcast. Here you will find the real stories of female service members. I'm Amanda Huffman. I am an Air Force veteran, military spouse, and mom. I created Women of the Military podcast in 2019 as a place to share the stories of female service members past and present with the goal of finding the heart of the story while uncovering the triumphs and challenges women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. And now, word from our sponsor. Want to inspire your community with unique presentation by a woman veteran speaker and author? I'm Air Force veteran Graciela Tiscareño Sato, founder of Gracefully Global Group, an educational publishing firm creatively serving communities. First, I serve audiences in Spanish and English at teacher conferences, schools, and libraries, bringing the award-winning bilingual Captain Mama Children's Books and My Aviation Service Story to life. Second, I lead authentic personal branding workshops, helping transitioning service members, spouses, and vets in career transition to create targeted brands. We've published Brand Before Your Resume, marketing guidebook featuring personal brands crafted by vets and spouses. This has never been done before. Third, corporate speaker sponsors make inspirational keynote addresses at their events possible, surprising attendees with logo-sponsored copies of our books. 
We're in the business of inspiration. Call area code 510-542-9449 to inquire about bringing me to your next event. Let's get back to the show. Welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you here, Deborah. I'm excited to be here. So let's start with why did you decide to join the military? To go get a college degree. My parents made it very clear to me when I was young that they were not paying for college. And if I wanted to continue my education, that I would have to find another way. And so the military was that other way. So you decided to join the military because you needed money for college. Uh, How did you pick which branch of the military to join? My dad was career army. So army was really the only choice when it came to uh, which branches. I didn't even go talk to anyone else besides the army recruiter. Um, I just felt like I was connected to my dad in that way. That makes sense. So you're an army brat? Yes. Moved around quite a bit. Born in Massachusetts and moved around everywhere else my entire life. (laughs) And do you think that your parents said they didn't, did they not have money for college or they wanted to push you toward the military? No, it was just something that they said, if you want to pursue it, then you need to pay for it. And I completely respected that. But this is pre 9-11. So this was at where the military was at a different, a very different position, I should say. I was in basic training when I heard about 9-11. So I was looking for college in the beginning. And then I just found out that this was my purpose. Wow. So you were at basic training during September 11th? Yes, I was in the grenade range when it happened. And they pulled us all aside and asked anybody if they were in the areas that were affected. And then the rest of us got briefed afterwards. So that'd be kind of an interesting experience. Because I mean, in a way, when you're at boot camp, you're kind of like sheltered from the world. But obviously, that was such a big event. And it had an impact on your life going forward that Yeah, basic training was so different after that. Our particular drill sergeant was from the Desert Storm era. So it felt like he was trying to prepare us to go to war because he said, you know, such such and such percentage is not going to come back home. You all are going overseas. You have to be prepared for this. So the, the training just intensified. And how many weeks into boot camp were you when that happened? Ooh, good question. I want to say week six. And how many weeks is... Eight weeks. Eight weeks? Okay, so you guys were almost done. Almost done. They locked locked the army base down for graduation. Our parents, my parents were able to come, thank goodness. But we weren't allowed off base or anything like that. And then we just headed straight for our AIT assignments. So what was your career field and where did you go? I went to Fort Lee, Virginia, and I was 92 Yankee Logistics. Logistics. That's such an important career field in the army. It is. And it's, and it's got so many different facets to it. Uh, it. You know, we have to deal with weapons and gear and trucks and, and people and, you know, just, just so many aspects of logistics that I just really enjoyed it. I, I, I really enjoyed doing my job. That's awesome. So how long were you at tech school? I was there for nine weeks. Yes, nine weeks. And then we got to go home. And did you go home on leave and then went to your next assignment? Well, I was in active duty. I was I signed up National Guard. Oh, okay. So I went back to my well, I went to uh, a unit in Georgia and it was a transportation unit. So I got to learn how to be a truck driver while also doing my job as a ninety two Yankee. How interesting. So was your plan to go to school while you were doing National Guard in the Army? Yep, that was the plan. Started school in 2002, and I finally graduated in 2012. (laughs) 
Well, you graduated. That's all that really matters, right? Amen, sister. Amen. I went out and I got my master's degree also. So the military has definitely taken care of my education. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. So was there anything in the military that caused your education to get a little off track? Like, did they, did you go on deployment or did you have to go on training? Let's talk about that. Yeah, we did a stateside deployment. Our transportation company was set up to go to Robbins Air Force Base in Georgia. We were, we we're going to help the security forces on Robbins Air Force Base. And we did that for two years. And so while I was there doing that home side assignment, I was doing some college there. And then when I got out in 2005, I just didn't continue my education until 2010. So you said that you were home station deployed. Were you at like active duty, but you know how it gets complicated or what? Yeah, Can you explain it's... a little more what that means for you as a National Guardsman? Yeah, as a National Guardsman, we were called up to active duty orders and we were considered active duty for the two year. We, well, it was first. It was first that we got activated for one year to Robbins Air Force Base. So it was kind of like a deployment. We had to do it, but it was just stateside because we didn't have enough vehicles to help in Iraq or Afghanistan. So basically, we were non deployable, non deployable unit. So yeah, we, we joined the Air Force Base on Robbins Air Force Base for two years, and it was one of the most memorable times in my life. I really, really enjoyed it. And so what was, I mean, that was kind of an unexpected switch yeah. because you're like going to school and in the National Guard and then all of a sudden they're like, and now you're active duty and you're going and how far away from, you were in Georgia, obviously, because you're in the National Guard, but how far was it to Robbins to, from where you were? It was only two hours. Not too, not too bad. They, they gave us houses to live in. I mean, the Air Force really knows how to treat you. So they, yeah, it was really amazing. <laughs> yeah, but it's two hours. It's not like you can just continue your normal life. Right. No, no. Yeah. It was like a disruption because you had to move and like figure out a new plan forward. But right. And then getting acclimated to being on a Air Force base with other active duty soldiers. So all of us National Guarders, we're not used to saluting every time we see a captain or, you know, just we had to get acclimated to being on active duty. And then for being on active duty for those two years, then when we went home, there were several of us that said that we felt kind of empty because we had we got we got so much from being there and helping Robbins Air Force Base that it was just it was life changing in you know in positive and negative ways but mostly positive. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit more about both the positives and the negatives that you experienced doing that. And like you said, Robbins and I just like oh Air Force and I both totally didn't even like cross. I was like oh yeah, you were in the army and you went to Air Force Base. So that's kind of it's so fascinating the different stories and experiences people have because you would think, well, that doesn't make sense, but that's what you did. So let's talk about the the challenges and the good things, positives and the negatives. Okay. Positives being on active duty. The money, of course, is really great because we don't have to pay rent. We're obviously living rent-free in these houses. So a lot of us had a lot of monetary gains and the camaraderie. I really enjoyed hanging out with ourselves as a unit. We would do a lot of cookouts, a lot of like we would play dominoes and just just the camaraderie in itself is the one thing that I miss so dearly. And the positive is that I got 
to be on active duty and I got to experience that type of lifestyle because it's definitely different coming from a National Guard soldier to an active duty soldier. So it's it was a wake up call for sure. And then let's talk a little bit about like the challenges or the hard parts. Sure. Yeah. The hard part for me personally and my platoon sergeant would probably agree was that I was I found it very difficult to keep my military composure and to not have an opinion in the civilian side. I was a, a store manager for McDonald's. So I had experience, I had leadership experience, um, significant amount of leadership experience. And when there was a lack of leadership in the unit or in the office of where I served, it was very different. It was very difficult to bite my tongue. So that was the hardest part was knowing my civilian leadership skills could help in a scenario, but my rank being an E4, it caused me not to be in that conversation whatsoever, despite my civilian experience. So I felt like I just, I just, it's, it was a, it was a hard thing to manage. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, if you're listening and you don't really understand like the military structure, you would be like, but you have a good idea. That makes sense. But the way the military's broken up, it's based on like rank and rank is like the most important thing. And the National Guard and the reserves are kind of unique because you have that civilian side and you also have the military side. And then on active duty, it's like your job is to do whatever the military tells you. And so it's an interesting dynamic of making that switch. But it was fun. It was fun. It was a great experience. And I really, I really enjoyed it. That's probably my favorite military experience was being on Robbins Air Force Base. They just treated us so well. And they showed us so much respect, the security forces, just, just so much respect. I love it. That's awesome to hear that you had that joint experience that you got to go on active duty. And because you are on active duty for so long, you qualify for like GI Bill and everything like that. Right. So I spent probably 18 months doing school there. So I got most of my core classes done while I was in Robbins Air Force Base. And then you decided to leave the Army. Well, this is... This is kind of a funny scenario. I came home and they did say that I didn't have to go to a couple of drills, but I only had drills meaning weekends where you're supposed to serve. But I only had three weekends left until I was ETSing, which is exiting the military. So I, when I signed up for my contract, I signed up for six years by two years. And so the six years were serving in the National Guard. And then the two years afterwards was two years. Basically, if you get called up, you get assigned to active duty. So you're basically on a list. So I got orders to go to Iraq one month before I was supposed to completely get out of the military, be done with my my whole session. But yeah, that's how I found out I was going to Iraq. Wow. It was crazy. You're like in the process of transitioning, figuring out the next phase. And they're like, and by the way, you're going to Iraq. Yeah. And I found out by a packet of orders that was sitting on my front desk when I got off of work. So to me, I was done with the military. I, I was, I did my service. I did everything I needed to do. And then, you know, I got orders in July to go to Iraq and I was supposed to report to Fort Jackson on August 4th. So I had 30 days to prepare to go to Iraq. Wow. That's crazy. It was, it was quite the shock. I mean, it's hard when you're on active duty. I think I had about 30 days or so when I found out about my deployment, but like I was active duty. And so it was, it was different. Like I knew a deployment was coming. It just, 
it was like it was inevitable. Oh, it's, yeah. yeah, it's here. We know what it is. And like, now you have to do the checklist, but you are like getting out of the military and not yeah. like getting off active duty, getting out of the guard. And then it's like, I was done. I mean, you, you know, in my mind, I had served my purpose, but the army had other plans. Apparently. So there was like a whirlwind of crazy, I'm guessing, in that 30 days to get ready to go. But it only took me a couple of days to accept it. I was just going to ask that question. I was going to say, like, what was your <laughs> mental, like, when you arrived, were you ready? Did you, or, so it's out, so you were, you processed it and you were like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And I wonder if being a military brat had anything to do with that. I, I think that's a good comment to, to build up on because it took me a couple of days for the wow factor, but then it was like, okay, well, this, I'm in the military, I'm in the army. This is what I have to do. This is what I what needs to get done. And I have to be gone by. It was just like, it's just, it's like my robotic memory just kicked back in. Yeah, it makes sense. My son's a military brat and we couldn't do something. And he was like, oh, that's because daddy has this and da, 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 da. And it was just like, he just accepted. So normal. Right. right. <laughs> He was telling my mom and my mom was like, it was so funny because he was like, well, this is this and this. And it was just like he and he's seven and he already oh, like, wow. you know, he just yeah. understands this is how life is. That's awesome. Yeah, I bet that had so much to do. You're a military brat and you were like, OK, yes, yes. let's move well, forward. <laughs> this is what we got to do. <laughs> Well, I mean, at least you were like in the right mental capacity to go to deployment and not like resentful and hating life. And totally, I I embraced the opportunity with open arms. I said, "This is what you know." I I felt honored when I was at Fort Jackson. Uh, I really felt honored because some people during a wartime scenario, like my dad, he was in the military during. I want to. What is it? Yeah, it was Vietnam. And he volunteered. And one month after he he was actually in California to train to go over and the war ended. So he has that time period of being in the military and never deploying. So I was happy that I could at least be in the military and deploy because most soldiers don't get that opportunity. I know that sounds kind of weird, but <laughs> a lot of people take pride in, in being deployed at least once in their career. Yeah, it's true. It's it's interesting how it works that sometimes people just don't ever get called up, especially like they want to deploy and they can't. Right. There's so many instances with people who can't deploy. So let's talk a little bit about your deployment. I'll just take it through from start to finish if you want me to. I'll, I'll kind of go brief, though. So I get to Fort Jackson and, and they give us a couple of weeks of time to where we're reacclimating with the military. So we're taking classes on what the rank structure is, how the uniform is supposed to look, just, just pretty much giving us a rocket amount of time to be soldiers again. And then after that, they sent us to Fort Lee or they sent people, there were more than just me, obviously. So they had uh, people go back to their AIT locations to continue to train for two weeks on their job and to kind of get reacclimated to their jobs and things of that nature. So after the training at Fort Lee, I was then connected to a CAV unit in Wisconsin. And this was the unit that I was going to deploy with. So that training was a little different. I was stepping into my job more, but we were also getting trained to go to Iraq, like translation, what to do in different scenarios, you know, just overseas deployment training. And that last 
lasted about two or three months and we deployed to Iraq in October. So we, we got there, uh, we relieved a unit that was there. We were given instructions on what we were supposed to do. And then we just began to set up shop and everything was going really well. I went on leave. The leave process was ridiculous. If you've ever been on leave with <laughs> being overseas, that was a conundrum in itself. But I really enjoyed working in logistics. I enjoyed having the camaraderie back. I really missed that. I missed it more than I thought I knew. But our job, quote unquote job, was to transport VIPs from the Baghdad International Airport to other locations. So basically, we provided security for VIPs in that area. Um, and I got to work with all of the soldiers, which is the one thing I do love about logistics is that I can, in anything in a unit, you know your admin because your admin will take care of your leave and then your logistics support because then, you know, they'll always take care of you and do what you need to do. So it was really interesting. It was, it was, those were the positives, the constant bombs, I want to say. I, I wouldn't call them bombs. I don't, I don't know how to say that, but um, we weren't, I don't even know. I don't even know if we were physically under attack or we weren't because the noises, like if we were being attacked, were so common that I guess I got used to it, if that makes any sense. And then in around May, I was, uh, I was raped in country. So after that situation happened, I was sent to a base psychologist and they took me off of all duties and took me to the psychologist to see what was going on with me. I didn't tell anyone what happened, but they were just trying to figure out what was wrong with me. I was completely mute. I stopped eating. Uh, they took away my weapon because I said I wanted to kill uh, myself or someone else. And I guess they couldn't get through to me with the psychologist that was on our FOB. So I got moved to the one at Baghdad International Airport. And I was impatient there. And while I was impatient there, there was a massive shooting from a, an American soldier who shot a psychiatrist uh, and four other members that were in the building. Um, and I was in the building as well. So there were two traumatic instances that happened while I was overseas that I did not anticipate. And so after the shooting happened, I just completely shut down and I wanted to go home. That's all it kept saying. I just want to go home. I want to go home. I'm done here. I want to go home. And they sent me to Germany to out process through there. And I lost probably 35 pounds. I'd say, yeah, 30 pounds uh, in, in the week there. I was vomiting. I wasn't, I wasn't leaving my room. My body was shutting down and it, it was just stress was taking over my body and I didn't have control of it anymore. So needless to say, I finally got home and I was at Fort Benning and I stayed there about 18 months trying different therapies and different ways of coping, trying to figure out what the heck was wrong with me. And then they finally decided that I was no longer allowed in the military with my PTSD. So I was discharged in March 2010. So that's the story. <laughs> I'm so sorry that happened. A lot of my, like all my PTSD, I wasn't raped, but I was treated really badly by team members. And when I talk about my story and like the hurt and the pain, it didn't come from the enemy. It came from the people who were inside the wire with me. So I can, I, it's just, it's just so hard to hear because it's, it's the truth is that there are like women on the base, like they are, 
they are raped and like it's like the military doesn't know how to deal with it and it's it's really it's really sad and when you were with um the psychiatrist were they able to figure out like what was causing you or were you like locked down and you wouldn't talk to anyone so they didn't weren't able to figure out what had caused your shift well i talked to the doctor about being raped and he was the one giving me medications and he was the doctor that was shot inside the mental health facility that year wow him and four other people because when you because when you go into the uh the inpatient facility they take your weapon from you so all of us patients were disarmed and somebody comes through with his m16 and he starts shooting everybody i mean all we could do was run i was in my room hiding and praying (laughs) it was insane that is insane wow so Needless to say, I couldn't know because after, so I opened up to the doctor. I tell him what happened. He gets shot and dies. RIP, I love you. But then after that, it's like, no, everything was focused on the shooting. Right. Nobody really focused on why were you there in the first place. Everything went back to the shooting. Right. So my, my MST got swept under the rug in a sense. Yeah, which it's odd that. They, I mean, I understand, like, why they focus so much on the shooting because, like, then you wanted to go home and, like, that was really traumatic. But the fact that they were like, let's not even figure out why you were there in the first place because you were, (laughs) they were like, maybe we should fix what happened first and then we can figure out the secondary because I feel like you can't fix the secondary trauma without fixing the first trauma. Exactly. And and when people asked me which cuz that's that was one of the famous questions, which traumatic instance is more which one affects you more? And I was just like they happened within a week of each other. I have no idea what's happening right now. I have no idea what's going on in my brain. So how can I identify which one is more severe than the other? I have no idea. Well, cuz they were both severe. Like Right. Exactly. I don't, I, I mean, in a way, they both have like equal trauma. Like, I don't know how you would be able to answer, especially going through the trauma. Like maybe years later, you could look back and like, but going through it, I, I don't know. That's really hard. And that was one of the big problems I had at the WTV. It was called a Warrior Transition Battalion. And I would get really upset when people would ask me that question because I'm like, I don't know. How am I supposed to know if I knew all, if I had all the answers, I would be sitting in your seat and you would be sitting in mine. Stop asking me the ignorant question. And I understand that mental health professionals, they have to read what's on the screen and they have to get the answers, you know, that they, that they need to get. But as the patient, I was really frustrated that I felt more like a number. Like if I choose this path, then you're going to be considered a this or if you choose this path then you're going to be considered this and it was it was exhausting instead of treating you like a person they were treating you like right. yeah 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 that's Definitely really not like a person i can see signs of when i got home from my deployment where i was like asking for help like first i went to a counselor she told me you'll be fine just adjust back to normal life and then second i went to like the mental health evaluation and i told the tech about my struggles and like what i was having and then she's like you need to tell the doctor that and i was like oh crap <laughs> and she didn't tell and so i didn't tell the doctor because he didn't ask me the same questions right i didn't feel comfortable telling a man i told this 
woman nurse tech and she never told anyone and like I feel like when you like get the courage to tell someone something that's going on like in your mind mentally you're not gonna repeat it 30 seconds later to another person's so, like why do I have to talk to two people if you're not even gonna do anything with the information like you should have told the doctor when she went out this is what the girl told me now you need to go like find out more and do your job right. She doesn't feel comfortable with you. I mean, understand. Oh, I get it. Yeah. Well, I'm so sorry. Well, is there a healing? I'm sure there's a healing journey because you're here now and you're talking about it. So can we talk a little bit about once you got out of the army system, how you were able to move forward? Sure. When I got out in 2010, I was coping negatively. I was drinking every day, going to the bars every day not really caring about anything. I had no care in the world. I lived a very wild and rambunctious life, I would say up until the beginning of 2011, when I became pregnant with my son. He is seven. I stopped drinking. I stopped going out and partying. I stopped everything when I found out I was pregnant. And once I had him, I feel like I, it just, it was like a breath of fresh air. It's the, it was the breath of fresh air that I needed. It was the love that I wasn't giving myself. So I was able to love him and loving him was allowing me to love myself. So I started working out. I just took care of him. He was my priority. And I got back together with the guy that I had lost when I was in Iraq. I actually lost a relationship while I was there. I sent him a Dear John letter that I don't even remember writing. So I assuming that it was in one of those traumatic instances that was going on. But I had my son, I was working out my, me and my husband, my still husband got married in, let's see, what am I skipping? Oh, so after I had my son, I started taking better care of myself and I had a strong pull to start meditating. I had no idea how to meditate, why meditate. I have no idea, but everything, every time I heard meditation, I'm like, yeah, that is calling me for some reason. So I took a couple of years of trying to lose weight, being a mom, being a wife uh, when we got married in 2014. And then I started to sense that life was kind of getting out of balance again, because I felt like it was my new norm, but I was pushing against change. But as I continued, I still struggled with depression and I still hadn't dealt with any of my trauma. Even after the time I spent on Fort Benning, I still hadn't even opened. I mean, the door was open, but there was so much stuff in that door to deal with. It's just like I kept closing it back. I'm like, ugh. I'll deal with that messy closet later. I started going to weekly treatments at a Jewish center. It was called JFCS. And I would go there once a week with my son. My son was then three at the time. And he was getting occupational therapy while I was getting therapy. And I did that for about a year. I really enjoyed that. She taught me that if I'm going to build a life, I need to start at the bottom with the foundation. And I started with the foundation of brushing my teeth, washing my face, take my meds. And that was it. I, like those were how simple my goals were at that point in time. And that really helped with my mood. It helped with the way I was handling my life. And then we moved to Colorado. And still that meditation, because when I left my therapist in Atlanta, uh, she said, just believe, have something to believe in because I didn't really understand my relationship with God at that time. So I took her to heart and I said, you know what? It's my first Sunday here in Denver, which I currently live. And 
I said, all right, I'm going to find something to believe in. What do I believe? I believe there's a God. I believe that all of us are pieces of God. Where do I go with this? So my son and I went out on a drive and we pulled up to a uh, spiritual sense. I guess, I guess that's, the way, that's the way I can say it. And I started meditating. So this was 2015 by now. So 2015. So that's when I started meditating about five years ago, in and out, not knowing what meditation is, just sitting down and trying to get my thoughts to calm. That's what I thought meditation was. But I learned throughout the years that it's a lot different. But I should say now in 2020, I am still meditating. And I started a nonprofit to help women veterans get that juiciness of a belief system. Uh, It doesn't have to be the same as mine, but just something to believe in, something to talk to, something to... And that's what I think meditation is. Meditation gets you to meet you there, meet you there in that space and shows you what your God is and aligns you with that. So that's what I take pride in nowadays. Yeah. My mom got me to start meditating in January and then I kind of fell off the wagon and then I started a challenge this summer and today actually is 100 days of meditating and and it's like so weird because it's like the thing that I needed but I had no idea and it's exactly you you can suck at it and it doesn't matter (laughs) you know like you can have a good meditation you can have bad meditation it doesn't matter but like yeah, my mom told me about it because she heard that like veterans were using it to deal with PTSD. And I was like, whatever, mom, you're crazy. Right. <laughs> and like now that I'm like 100 days in, the first time I did it for about 20 days and like I could tell that it was good. But like now that I'm 100 days in, like I need that 10, 15 minutes at the end of every day. I do it in the evening before I go to bed. That was, I had to find the time that worked for me, but I do it in the evening before I go to bed. And it's just like this, like all my thoughts. And then I stop and like, I just, I can see them like the waterfall rushing past and like, and that's good stuff. (laughs) Yeah. And like my faith is I'm a Christian and I always kind of felt like meditation. It's not, but it's like prayer. It's like the way prayer should be, but nobody teaches (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm with you. Exactly. And that's, that's what I want to tell people because there's so many different powerful belief systems out there that meditation just, it's like the peanut butter and jelly. You just smash it together and it's perfect. Yeah. Because whenever I would pray and I would get distracted, I'd be like, oh man, I suck at praying. And then I learned about meditation and I was like, oh, (laughs) I'm a human. (laughs) It's not that it's bad. That's just who you are. Like if you get distracted while you're praying, like that's not like something that okay. you should be like, oh, I suck. Like, yeah. that's what I love about meditation. They're like, did you get distracted? Now come back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then they say, well, it's okay. Whatever. If your thoughts come, just let them pass. <laughs> I love it. It's like the weirdest thing. I don't know how to put into words, but like, it's the healing thing that I need. Yeah. To help me in my journey. And so if you are listening and you're like, what the heck are they talking about? <laughs> I use the app 10%, but you have, let's talk more about your program because I want to learn more about how you're helping women veterans. Sure. Yeah. I Well, first I use Insight Timer for uh, my meditations. I really enjoy Insight Timer. But 
I started the nonprofit. It's called Enlightened Veterans, hence the name Enlightened, because we can all be enlightened at some point of our time on this planet. But I started the uh, nonprofit last year, so I focus on workshops uh, to teach veterans how to meditate and how to meet meet yourself in meditation. So I do guided meditations. And then the retreats, The we have a four-day all-women's retreat next year on May 11th. And that's at no cost to the veteran. It's completely swagged out. It's it's at, uh, I can't say where it is yet because we haven't put the deposit down, but uh, it's in the Rocky Mountains at a an energy all around the United States. There's some energy fields that are much stronger than other places. And it's held in one of the energy fields that I'm looking forward to working with. So helping women veterans. And then after they come from the retreat, they, they pretty much have a life coach for the rest of their life. So after we finish the four-day retreat that they go on, it's all based on meditation, Tai Chi. We're going to do some jewelry making. Like this is a mala. I don't know if you can see it, but we're going to be able to create some malas, just some things that they can, that, some tools that they can bring home to help them. And then they always have a life coach there on forward with, with, with whatever they need. If they need meditation support, job support, pretty much we're a one-stop shop for resources. That sounds amazing. And we'll have links to everything in the show notes. I mean, I want to go. I would love for you to go. The event's on Facebook right now. And uh, we need 20 ladies. So you can be one of them. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I'm going to get connected with you. I'm really excited. I just, it's just been life changing, the meditation, which. Yeah, totally. And it's going to change so many women veterans, their lives. It's just going to change their life that they don't have to feel imprisoned in their brain. And I feel like that's the most powerful part is that when when I was dealing with my PTSD, you know, I just felt imprisoned. Like I just, I was just stuck in a negative space and meditation was my key out. Yeah. Powerful stuff. It is. I mean, I... When I started, I think one of the first courses was like, is this really worth doing? Um, I don't know. It, but I was like, whatever, I'll do this. My mom wants me to do it. And yeah, 100 days into, I I can't explain it. But I like, now I'm like, I look forward to it every evening because I'm like, I, I need this. Yeah. That's awesome. So that's so exciting. Well, yeah. So we'll have all the links in the show notes. And my last question is, what advice would you give to young women who are considering joining the military? Don't quit and do the job you want to do. Do not let the recruiter sway you and just believe in yourself. And never quit. Yeah. Don't quit. I love that. There's so many women who are becoming rangers. And I think there's some women in the SEAL program. Forgive me for not being educated, but these women are blowing statistics out of the water and and you could be one of them. Just try hard and do not quit. Yeah. I love that. That's great advice. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time and for being on the podcast. I'm really glad we got to do this interview. to this week's episode of Women of the Military Podcast. Do you love all things Women of the Military Podcast? Become a subscriber so you never miss an episode and consider leaving a review. It really helps people find the podcast and helps the podcast to grow. Are you still listening? You could be a part of the mission of telling the stories of military women by joining me on Patreon at patreon.com slash women of the military or you can order my book Women of the Military on Amazon. Every dollar helps to 
to continue the work I am doing. Are you a business owner? Do you want to get your product or service in front of the Women of the Military podcast audience? Get in touch with the Women of the Military podcast team to learn more. All the links on how you can support Women of the Military podcast are located in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and for your support. Thank you.